Well, good morning, Trinity Bible Church, as well as visitors. Uh, we are continuing uh, in Matthew today. I'll let you know there will be two more weeks of Matthew, and then we will be taking a few weeks to go into a more um, Easter-centric um, preaching leading up to Easter itself. And so uh, there will be a, a, a hiatus from from Matthew for a few weeks. I know it, we're only in chapter 16, and it's already been three years. Uh, I do have a couple announcements. I don't normally do this just for some upcoming things in the spring. Uh, uh, starting on March 26th, we'll be having a new members uh, class during the 9 a.m. equipping hour. It'll be held out in the adult classroom here in the portable Uh, We'll have more information. That's for anyone who is considering becoming a member or anyone who is just curious about um, the doctrines that we teach, the type of governance, philosophy of ministry, things like that. Uh, We'll be covering that in a five-week period. Uh, Also, on that same day, on March 26th, we'll be having a men's luncheon and lecture. And so the men of the church uh, will be meeting afterwards and uh, we will be, uh, amongst the, the guys, be figuring out what we eat, um, which will be pretty funny. Uh, and for any of the wives that are concerned, I will bring lots of fruit and vegetables. And so they will not be eaten, but I will, I will bring them. Uh, and that we're going to be talking about this year in the church and some of the expectations the elders are putting on uh, the men and building accountability uh, with one another. Now, uh, so that not be one-sided, on the following Sunday, April 2nd, uh, we will be having a ladies' um, luncheon and lecture, now covering that kind of same aspects. The expectations that will be put on the women of the church for the coming year as a congregation as a whole. Uh, The men will also be preparing that... I'm just kidding. The... We'll also have a sign-up for, for, for food as that as well. Uh, yeah, what, what, comes out, what else is there with the brisket? No, there's nothing. Air. Uh, so those are some things coming up um, uh, here uh, in, the, in the spring, and uh, more uh, information will be coming out about that. Uh, now we turn to the Word, and it's time of our, our public worship, uh, as we have already... Um, had times of prayer, and we'll continue in prayer. We've also had songs of praise for the work of God. We will also have a time of taking the ordinances of God, the Lord's table. And now we'll enter into the time of the Word. Uh, I'll be reading uh, from the Scriptures this morning from the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 16. Be reading from verses 13 through 20, but we will be covering verses 13 through through 17. After I read the word, I'll give you an opportunity to pray silently, a time to repent of unrepentant sin, a time to prepare your heart and mind for the word. And then I'll pray for us corporately before we enter into the time of the teaching of the word. Now, reading from 13 through 20 in chapter 16 of the gospel according to Matthew. Matthew wrote, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? 
And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. This is the word of God. Please take this time to pray. Heavenly Father, we, your church, thank you for this day, a celebration of the resurrection of the Son of God. God, we come to celebrate the work of Christ on the cross, redemption purchased, sealed, and kept for those you are calling according to his name. Lord, and as we come this morning on the Lord's day in recognition of the great work of God, that we, the church, are a part of this moment in time in salvation history, and such a time as this, empowered by the Holy Spirit, called according to your purpose, strengthened for the work of ministry and the good works with which you've prepared beforehand. And Lord, I pray you confront us today with our waywardness. That we were reminded through your word of how we have abandoned you. God, that we would see clearly our great need for you. And Lord, we would be encouraged and and lifted up by the power of the Holy Spirit and the gospel of Jesus Christ. That while we are yet sinners and Christ died for us, and we are continually strengthened by the Spirit to be reminded of the work of God. 
and that you would continually draw our hearts and our mind and our eyes to you, Lord, that our affections would be turned by a quickening of the spirit and the truth of your word to follow you out of temptation and sin and into a pursuit of Christ. Lord, strengthen your church. And we also pray this morning for the unbelievers in our midst. If there are this morning, Lord, I pray that through your sovereign plan and eternal decree that this would be the day that they are brought to Christ. May your gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ be made new to them by the power of the Spirit. They'd be regenerate. They would confess and repent of dead works, sealed in the Spirit, and now a member of your assembly. Lord, we pray now in the midst of this worship that you would be glorified. In Christ's name, amen. As we are continuing in the gospel, things keep escalating, right? We keep seeing these confrontations with Jesus, with the, with the Sadducees and the Pharisees forming this unholy alliance with one another in order to continually attempt to bring Jesus out of the public eye, out of the favor of the common person. And more than anything, if they could just get him to stop doing Jesus things like healing and being shown to do the miraculous with no possible way of explaining it outside of God's power. Jesus warning his disciples, beware of this teaching. Beware of following the way of the Pharisees. And now we come upon this incredible scene that will will then bring itself into another scene. Moving now forward towards Jerusalem, more and more revealing to his disciples that his time on the cross is coming. And so the, the shift in the gospel, although there's many chapters left, is now turning its eye towards the passion of the Messiah. But first, something must be reckoned with, something Matthew wanted his readers to know, something that has been clear from the beginning of the gospel, but now is articulated by the spokesperson of the apostles or the disciples, Peter, and all that it implies. So look here in 13. It says, when they came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Son of Man being the designation, it's simply Jesus saying to his disciples, you're fishermen, you're tax collectors, you're, you're all over, you know, you're talking to people. Who do the people say that I am? I mean, what a question to ask this group. Who do they say that I am? Now, we know who his loudest critics say that he is. 
the loudest critics who have had the biggest voice so far say that he is unruly, that his teaching is dangerous, that he's a false prophet, that he's a breaker of the Sabbath and a breaker of the law. He teaches his own disciples to break the law. And not only that, he's probably aligned with Satan. That, so far, has been what his adversaries have had to say about him. And, and one thing is clear. People of all ages who are professional critics generally always have the loudest voice. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees have made no distinction other than to have loud voices in constant critique and criticism of the very one they told everyone they were waiting for. So then they asked, he asked the disciples, who do the people that you talk to say that I am? And they said, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. And others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. So not quite as critical, but also just as wrong. And also something kind of that betrays a certain religious idea of the time in first century Judaism. Uh, the idea of resurrection of the dead was something that has been a part of that first century belief in Judaism and is intact there. So why some of these names? Well, if you're a reader of the Old Testament prophets, particularly Malachi, you'll know Malachi 4, 5. Malachi addresses that Elijah will return to precede Messiah. And so some are saying, well, Jesus, this one who is performing these miracles, the one who is clearly empowered by God in some way, he is Elijah returned, and he's going to make the way for the one like David that we're waiting for. Because remember, the idea was essentially that what was going to happen with Messiah and many in the Jewish world was that he was going to be a warrior king like David. And like David, who threw off the yoke of the Philistines, this Messiah would do the same with Rome. And then he would make a sanctuary of Israel again, like David did, so that the Jewish people could live out their obedience to Yahweh, proving their obedience to Yahweh. Imagine that. Sounds like far more respectful than the critics, but just as wrong making Jesus far less than he was. They're making Jesus the forerunner of Messiah when they say he's Elijah. Others said John the Baptist. John the Baptist was known to be dead now. Some of the prevailing belief is then Jesus is either a resurrected John the Baptist or John the Baptist is now inhabiting his body, the spirit of John the Baptist. You see the superstition that was already available. John was a prophet, and they knew he was a prophet. 
and Jesus is continuing, and some of John's disciples are now following Jesus, it must be because that's John the Baptist. So resurrection's on the table. So is maybe some type of weird spiritual infusion, mysticism. But there was other false beliefs. There was other superstitions. When they say that maybe Jeremiah, that wasn't a anything that you find in the Old Testament. That was something called, from an apocryphal work called Second Esdras, with an E-S-D-R-A-S. Something that was around during this, for the time between the Testaments, really about a hundred years before Jesus. And there was a passage in Second Esdras that says that Isaiah and Je- Jeremiah would return and herald in a time to, guess what? For Messiah, Moshiach to come. And so, again, it sounds like a compliment when you compare it to the alternative of the critic, which is in league with Satan. And you're like, well, at least they're kind of in the ballpark. Elijah was good. Malachi said he's coming back. Isaiah and Jeremiah are considered, you know, right, righteous prophets. John the Baptist, he just died and everyone liked him. And then they kind of end it by saying, or one of the other prophets. So Jesus asks his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they say, maybe you're John the Baptist, renewed. Maybe you're Elijah, the forerunner of Messiah. Maybe from one of these superstitious books that were written about 100 years ago, uh, you might be Jeremiah or any of the other prophets. Wrong is still just as wrong. Because what they are making Jesus is less than who he is. He's not a forerunner. He's not a resurrected prophet. He is the king. And he's come to bring his kingdom. And he's been showing them and telling them from the moment of his baptism. The clear signs of Messiah for all to see. And yet even the people that were waiting for him, not the critics, make him Jesus, but less. The only thing I could think of, because you guys know I'm bad at illustrations, was that Diet sodas have been shown for decades to be a scam. If you didn't know that, they are. The ones that use the same kind of chemical compound that is used in sweet and low turns off your body's ability to recognize real sugar. So when you drink a lot of diet sodas, but then you eat food that has real sugar, it doesn't know how to process it, and you actually gain weight. Aspartame, which is used in the NutraSweet, which was in others for years, and then it was kind of shelved to the side because they found out that in, in the, the actual testing of it on rats, it ate holes in their brains. Probably not good to take in. So Dr. Pepper was like, hey, we're giving the original formula raw cane sugar. Like, sugar's not good for you. It just isn't. But the original recipe, Dr. Pepper, is way better for you than Dr. Pepper Zero, which now has what in it? Guess what? 
aspartame, the brain eater. But people go, oh, zero sugar, less than. It's much more appealable. I can drink it and go, I'm not taking in any sugar, but your brain might be getting eaten. But they convince themselves, we convince ourselves of things like this all the time. A little bit less. Something a little more palpable for us. I've convinced myself that this will help me gain weight. A lose weight, sorry. A slip. (laughs) Or was it? No, what will help you is if you drink water. I get it, Dr. Pepper's delicious, I love it. But only the original recipe. Raw cane sugar is bad for you, but it won't eat your brain. But zero, Coke Zero, Dr. Pepper Zero, all those things, they're all fake. And they're all an illusion, but all are less than the delicious original recipes. See how bad I am at illustrations? But you get it because I talked about Dr. Pepper and we're in Texas. Jesus as in league with Satan or Jesus as less than Messiah is the same answer. It's wrong. Jesus and the question of who is he, we don't get the option of anything less than son of God, second person of the Trinity, redeemer, sustainer, of our faith, Lord and King. So faced with this answer, Jesus is left with the vast majority of people, whether critics or those who have watched or even received the miracles of Christ, as those who are in unbelief. Anything less then the confession that we're about to read is not Christianity. Because there's a whole lot of Jesus minus something in our culture today. But then look at this. He said to them, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. One author wrote, This is the confession of every true Christian in every true church. From the time of Peter's confession to the time until Christ returns, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. There's no alternative. There's no minus. There's no less. There's no zero calorie Jesus. The full Jesus demands something of people. Jesus demands holiness. He demands fealty. He demands your obedience. In a keeping of the law. That was the reality of God's covenant with his people. 
and they broke it over and over and over and over again. That's the story of the Old Testament. We're going through, in our family worship time, Genesis. And one of the kids made a comment the other night, because we're in the story of Abram now. He's not Abraham yet. Not that he gets any better, but... Hey, we've noticed a trend, Dad. What's that? Well, it's like in the same chapter, he's really faithful, but then like he gives his wife away. That's sinful, right? Like sometimes. <laughs> Obviously, yes. Obviously, Christina is, is helping in the children. <clears throat> I'll, I'll pay for that. Yes, obviously. Well, why is that? Why do you think that is? What happened in chapter 3? What happened in chapter 4? See, in chapter 3 of Genesis, sin enters the world. And then the narrative continues with the story of Cain and Abel. And often you probably think of it where you go, oh, what, what, why did, was God displeased with the offerings? And, and why did he like one and why the other? And kind of speculate on that. But don't you see that's not the point of the chapter? The point of the chapter is as soon as sin enters into the world of man, the first act is murder. And not just that, but the man is warned by God himself that sin seeks to master you. Didn't matter. Jealousy overran any sense or any desire to follow God. And he murders his brother. The point made by Moses in that event that God is making is to show you how dramatic the effect of sin is on the heart of man. And at all times, man's heart in these next chapters leading up to the flood and after is only bent towards evil from the moment of his youth or only bent towards evil all the time. So why is Abraham in one chapter the epitome of faith? And in that same chapter, the epitome of faithlessness? Because he is a descendant of Adam. And so are you. And so am I. And so are all of these. In their humanity. In their unbelief. You and I once in our own unbelief. Faced with the idea. That you are a sinner. In need of something that you cannot deliver to yourself. That by nature and by choice, you will always rebel against God. And that only God can rescue you from that. You can't. And so what we are faced here with all what the people are saying about Jesus is the natural affront that the fallen human heart has at the idea of the need of a Messiah. Tell someone in their unbelief, you are a sinner and you're broken and you need Jesus. What is the more likely answer than anything going to be? 
Well, in our age, uh, well, it's good for you, but, you know, what's good for you isn't maybe not good for me because I have, you know, other things that I depend on and you have that which you depend on and then that's the way the world is because we can both think uh, subjective thoughts and form worlds of our own making and they can be completely inconsistent with each other or just reality in general, but that's how we're going to live. Rebellion is rebellion. And that's what we're seeing. But when Jesus asks his disciples, who do you say that I am? The confession that he is the anointed one. The son of the living God. The one, the long-awaited for deliverer. The one Paul calls the second Adam. The one who will break the curse Of the first Adam, the one who will fulfill the law that has been broken by every hero of Israel's Old Testament. And that every aspect of priest, prophet, king that was foreshadowed in the Old Testament, what was really pointing to Messiah. He's the one who's going to fulfill it all. He's going to rescue his people. The Christ, the son of the living God. The one we've been waiting for. And Jesus answered him in 17. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Now, Simon's taken for us for another Simon roller coaster ride. Look at Simon, the faithful. Let's... It's six verses later where Jesus calls him Satan. So just so we're clear. Just as Abraham's Abraham, Peter is Peter, you are you, and I am me and me. That's about to be really illiterate mumbo jumbo there, wasn't that? Blessed are you. He calls Peter and tells him that he's blessed. Now, one of the reasons that I'm stopping in 17 is because as I prepared for this week and was going through the entirety of this, when we get into 18 and the nature of the church, the sermon started becoming quite a bit longer. And so I assumed that an hour and 15 minutes was too long. No one's shaking their head. I'm going to go. But so I thought it it seemed prudent to, to end it on 17. But here's the reality that's been put forward from the beginning of the gospel is rife throughout the New Testament and the Old Testament. Where did Simon get this knowledge? When he tells him this was not of flesh and blood, he's telling him that everything that is natural in you is unable to make this confession. That which makes up man in the natural is unable to confess that Jesus is the Christ. And every time that man is presented with the information, look here, it says here in Genesis 3, man has fallen and the penalty is death. 
It says in chapter 9 that all the thoughts of our heart are consistently evil or rebellious. And yet God is going to make a way, according to chapter 3 as well. And so now we're looking through this history and we see the, the intricate detail that it's, is made in these lineages to show us, well, this is perhaps where this one will come from. And then we're presented in a narrative and poetic style that here's the one. And then that one fails, and you're like, well, it can't be that one. He received it, but then he tried to give his wife away. Okay, maybe it's the next one. Well, let's not even talk about that one. Well, it's like the next one. Even worse. On and on and on. Who is the one? Where is he? When is he going to arrive? Natural man cannot take the idea that I'm waiting for some person to come and rescue me. That's an affront to that which is flesh and blood. But the Spirit The Father who is in heaven has revealed this to you. Peter is given the knowledge of who Christ is by God himself. Peter is a recipient of knowledge that man does not have on his own. And we see it further exercised as the gospel goes on. Even after his resurrection, we see in the gospel of Luke where where disciples are talking with him on the road. And when he's resurrected and they're trying to tell him a story about himself. And he has to open their eyes. And it says he opens their eyes and he shows them all of scripture and where he has fulfilled it. And then, when he ascends, visibly back to heaven, a pronouncement of being the son of the living God, the second person of the Trinity, who now, having suffered in his willing time of humiliation and passion for his people, and taking their curse and their judgment from the Father for the penalty of their sin, because he had none, making just recompense for their penalty, meaning he paid the price that we all owed for our own flesh and blood, in our own natural state, in our own sinful rebellion. The song, he paid it all. And then he ascends back to the Father in glory, representing his power, representing his true status, back to the throne room, waiting to return. But until such a time, the Father and the Son send God, the Holy Spirit, on Pentecost to indwell the church, and where every believer now, there is no central temple that we're looking to worship at, We ourselves are the temple. The Spirit regenerates the inner person, the spirit of the person who believes. 
And when you say, I believe in Jesus. From a place of rebellion to a place of belief, in that interaction, that was not your flesh and blood acting on your own. That was the Spirit renewing your heart and your mind and regenerating your spirit and giving you the ability to understand He is the Christ. He is the Son of the living God. And in light of that spirit, now spirit-filled new life, those eyes turn inward and go, Wretched man or woman that I am. Praise God who has rescued his child. But there's still a lot of Peter in all of us. You are saved and you are redeemed and you are renewed in the Spirit and you have the Holy Spirit indwelling. You are called the temple of God. You're put together in a community where you are then called to be in union with Christ through the shared indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Meaning, if you are here and you believe in Christ and you have the Holy Spirit and all the people around you do as well, you are in union with one another through that shared inheritance that we have. And yet, just like Peter, who a moment later will once again show his flesh and blood reaction to hard spiritual truth, it's very easy and very common on a daily occurrence almost for us to accept less than Jesus. When things happen in life, and things always happen in life, because we are sinners surrounded by sinners in a world that is broken and not yet redeemed and not yet made new by Christ in completeness, means life is hard. Made hard by other people's sinful decisions, made hard by your own sinful decisions. And too often... Too often the things we turn to to give us relief or make us forget are way less than Jesus. We're calling the church to make take a serious account of their own life. Every individual at Trinity Bible Church this year. A serious understanding, looking through your life and looking at the things that you do and where in my life if I could make a a list am I accepting less than Jesus? Am I replacing the real Messiah and King with some other idol in my life? If you're going to do that take those fake things take less than Jesus and get it out of your life. Take that which holds you back. 
take the sin that you are enslaved to and be honest. Get rid of it. Put it to death. The church has to operate in a manner that shows we're only calling and believing and following the Jesus here, the Messiah, the one who died for my sins and paid my price, the living Son of God, who is my only hope in life. All these other false hopes, all these other things I look to and turn to, it's all false. Only the King who will return is my hope in this life and the life to come. I pray everyone in this church takes an honest account of their life and makes an honest reckoning with the high places that we've built and knock them down. Because then, our confession, our pointing to Christ, our position as the light on the hill that shines in a dark world is made that much brighter through a people who are serious about the shortness of their time and the glory that awaits them in Christ. Please pray. Heavenly Father, as we continue in our time of worship, I pray we would contend with that which was in ourselves, which seeks the easy answer, that seeks a life of making Jesus less, which is always making ourselves more. God, let us be the people that hold fast to these divine truths that have been instilled in us by God himself. That we are sinners, rebels by nature, and the penalty for our rebellion and our sin is death and damnation. But the unchanging triune God has made covenant with his people through the blood of Christ and the blessed hope in which we all share in Christ that redeemed, we will one day day be made whole and sinless and reside forever before our Savior. So until such a time that Christ comes to claim his church, may we be about his work. May we be putting to death sin in our life through the power of the Holy Spirit and spiritual disciplines of reading the word and meditating on it. Not forsaking the assembly. Using our gifts to, for one another 
to lift one another up and glorify God. That we would be a people prepared when he comes to take us home. Lord, now as we continue in our worship, I pray our hearts and our minds would be focused on the taking of the supper. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Now we're moving into a time of worship. Of the public worship that is both the end of this particular service, but is no less than any other element. The Lord's Supper is a commemoration of the Last Supper. And Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he gave the elements of the Passover meal in the bread and the wine to his disciples. And in so doing, abolishing the Passover at his death, and instilling the, what was called the Lord's Table or Communion. From this time, on the Lord's Day, for His people to take until He has the meal with us in glory. Now the Lord's Supper is principally a Christian meal. Meaning if you are here and you are not a professed, and baptized believer, then you must abstain. But if you are a baptized Christian, even if you are not a part of this local assembly, you may partake of the meal. With the meal comes a warning. Paul warns a congregation in the book of 1 Corinthians against taking the table, the cup, and the bread in an unworthy manner. The idea behind that is the Christian man or woman who is unrepentant in their sin, better for them not to take the table, not to take the elements, not to participate in the supper, than to take it as one who is lying to God. So we will give you an opportunity before taking the elements, a long opportunity as as others are coming to get the elements, to make right yourself before God. Profess your sins to Him in detail. If those sins involve conflict with another person in this congregation, better for you both to go take care of that now than take the supper. This is both a serious occasion, but more than anything, a celebration. We come to celebrate the work of God in Christ. And while we look back on the spilled blood in the broken body of Christ, we are to look forward in celebration that one day, He will return. And our blessed hope of resurrection of the dead will be realized. Recreation, new heavens, new earth, and what He promised the disciples, the meal in full with our Lord. 
When I pray for the elements, some come from different traditions, uh, the elements are unchanged. It's bread and fruit of the vine. They are not transformed into something, but now that which is common is used for a holy purpose in communion. Now, I will pray for the elements and for our time, and the men will come up to the front and dismiss you by row. And as you are dismissed, we ask if you are able that each individual believer come and get their elements on their own and partake in the supper in that way. If you are unable, please let one of the men in the back know and they will be happy to get the elements for you. Uh, Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we continue on our corporate and public worship, we ask that you would bless this time of the taking of the Lord's Supper. As we take both the bread and the cup, we are reminded of your great sacrifice. The humiliation of the second person of the Trinity coming in the flesh living a life fully tempted as we are tempted and yet never sinning. And the whole purpose to march towards a destined appointment of taking on the curse of sin for your people. And your body broken on a tree, cursed by God, blood spilled out. In the greatest victory in history. Sin and death defeated. Salvation purchased for your people. And Lord, we know according to your word that now you are back in glory at the right hand of the Father. No longer in humiliation and when you return... It will be in your glory. And every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And the king will claim his kingdom in full. And we come to celebrate our participation in that, that you alone have given us. So Lord, may this time of taking of the Lord's Supper glorify your name and edify the church of God. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Amen.